podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Stop hating on the Invincibles, Paul. <laughs> Should we bring the Champions League into this discussion? When we did it last week, it kind of felt like, well, damn, then this Liverpool team has to be up there with the greats. And then does Guardiola's team that hasn't won the Champions League, they might take a a step back because they haven't won it yet. Is it fair to bring in the Champions League when we're talking about who's the best just in the Premier League? I just wear my bias on my sleeve here, obviously. Anyone that doesn't know, I'm a Man United fan. So funnily enough, this is the achievement I think is better than all the others Um, because we're the only ones that have done it. But I think because every team that's ever won the Premier League in, well, certainly in the last 25 years or whatever, um, has been trying to win the Champions League at the same time. I think if you do that, like winning the Champions League is a massive achievement. So it's, it's got to be on. It's got to be in the discussion. But if, if we're just talking about greatest Premier League season, shouldn't it be taken of what 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 did you do in those thirty eight games? For what me, you that, did in the FA Cup, what you did in the League Cup, what you did in Europa League, what you did in Champions League, what your players did in the World Cup or the Euro, it doesn't matter. No, do, I don't, don't don't agree at all. I think that the thing about the Euros in the World do Cup... Do we take I into account then South American qualification? Like, so if, I don't know, if, if Tevez goes and does something with Argentina, does that make the 2008 season better? Not for Man United, but it does for Tevez. So I, I'm, I'm talking about the club. So the club, every competition that the club is in mm-hmm. is is something that they're trying to win. And there's an order of priority, right? So either the Premier League or the Champions League is number one, and the other one is a close second. It varies from club to club, obviously. Say Real Madrid would choose the Champions League over La Liga every time. Right now, I'm sure City would take the Champions League over the Premier League because they'd never won it. Last season, every Liverpool fan I know would have preferred to win the Premier League than the Champions League. You know, all these which, kind which of is boring, man. Champions League is always <laughs> a big competition. Well, yeah, but if you haven't won the league for 30 years, you know, fair enough, you'd want to win that. But so my my point being, and then, then the FA Cup and the League Cup back in the day, as Hope will know, well, I know you know too, Daniel, but like as Hope will remember, the FA Cup was genuinely a huge deal. So winning the double was an enormous thing. So I, I think to, to and, and now that means a lot less and the League Cup means less still. If you judge a season and go, okay, but only these 38 games matter, I think given the context of those 38 games, like if United weren't trying to win the treble, they'd have got way more points in 1999 in the Premier League. But their achievement over the course of that season is absolutely unparalleled in English football. And and I hope, I really, I promise from the bottom of my heart, I hope I would believe that too if I was not a United fan. Of course, I can't claim to not be, you know, coloured by my experience and, and my biases and stuff. But... I'm not just trying to talk from that perspective. I'm I'm trying to see the bigger picture. Well, so where where would you put? So, for instance, I think what would it have been? Chelsea won in 2014-15. Then 15-16 was the bad season. So 16-17 was the year that Conte won, right? So 16-17, I think they had a record of the number of wins. They matched a win streak. This is Conte's Chelsea, the first season where they sprung three four three on everybody. But they didn't play in Europe because of the season before was a disaster. How would you take that 38-game season that Conte had and how would that rank amongst the other ones, given that there was no European football for Chelsea to play? Does that downgrade them to where you you can't even be maybe top 10 because you had nothing else to do? Or is it just fair to just look at the 38 games? For instance, Leicester. Leicester weren't in European football, but over the course of 38 games, they did something that was unparalleled that had never been done before for a team to be 5,000 to one odds and they win. 
So are we saying because other teams had different competitions that that Leicester accomplishment doesn't get to rank as high in this list? Well, who's saying that the Leicester team, I mean, Leicester is the most staggering achievement in the history of the Premier League, like the most remarkable thing that's ever happened. But nobody's saying that Leicester team's in the conversation of the greats, are they? On one hand, as Paul just said, wow, unprecedented in terms of a team who should have no business even challenging for top four, winning the title. But my main thing is it's a different argument you're making. You're not making an argument of how impressive they were. You're making an argument of how unlikely it was, similar to FC Porto winning the Champions League, similar to Greece winning the Euros. So it depends what argument you're having. If we're argument, talking about arguments of impressive, we look at Chelsea's defensive record in all four or five seasons. We're looking at Arsenal never being beaten. We're looking at Man City getting a, a hundred points. So that's just based on purely footballing impressiveness. But if you just let's now look at the story fully, you know, like, let's, that is the most shocking. It might be because again, I don't know about other leagues and so forth, but I would argue that it might be the most shocking league win amongst the major leagues. Have Torino ever won the Syria? Have Mines ever won the Bundesliga? You know, have um, Elche ever won the or, or have, have Villa Villarreal ever? Basically, the equivalent of Leicester City in most of these other leagues are a team that are just because Leicester they're not even they shouldn't even be considered even a mid-table club. They're like in out in out. Like the last time Leicester City before they won the league were. Anything was the days of Emil Heskey and uh, Mozzi Izzet. It was way back in the, in the 90s. And even then, they were just like a, you know, pretty good team, but they're not really doing anything. So it depends what arguments you're having. But you're not putting Leicester City in the arguments of the Centurions, the Invincibles, or Chelsea's defensive record. I just feel honor bound to mention to shout out <laughs> Grande Torino and the fact that Torino have won Serie A seven times. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I know what you mean. Okay, then Pescara, then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I, I completely agree with the argument. I, In fact, I, I do think that Leicester's league win is the single most remarkable league win in history. But Daniel, I thought your your argument about Chelsea was actually sort of more relevant, really, to that to that. Well, no, I was just about... coming up with teams, you know. Yeah, like so, but... so, so Conte had the record of most wins. Yeah, which which you would say, like, does that put them in the pantheon of the greats? I mean, I, I guess I'm a little. I don't know. I I didn't care for that team particularly, so maybe that that was why they don't. I mean, that I think Mourinho's Chelsea was a way, way, way better achievement, a better team, even though Conte got that record. I don't think of them in, in that context. But definitely, to me, the fact that they're not in European competition is a knock on the sort of overall greatness of the achievement. This is why, I mean, I'm not normally one for like tribal infighting and, and you know, being really like banging the drum for my team's achievements in football. But genuinely, to me, it's very cute when people can't try and compare things to the treble because it's like, None of the fans, the century, what would City fans have wanted? 100 points or the treble? What would Arsenal have wanted? The unbeaten season or the treble? What would Liverpool have wanted? To win the Champions League last oh, season no, and the league this season or the oh, treble? Oh, oh, I get that. I get that. And, and I agree. Everybody would want the treble. I get that. But yeah. if, if we're just talking, like there's a difference between the season as a whole and the Premier League season. Those are two different things. Not in any way that matters because football only matters in the context. Like the only reason that football matters is because people care about it. Empirically, apart from the physical exercise that the 22 people involved are doing and the enjoyment on that, that of their personally having, 
The game only has meaning that we imbue it with. We that imbue it with meaning are people who care about the outcomes. So what we would care about more is the thing that matters by far more than the kind of, um, I tell you what, I tell you who would absolutely love the position that we should only think about those 38 games. And that is the institution of the Premier League who are like, yes, you're right. You shouldn't, shouldn't care about all these other Johnny Foreigner competitions and these old fashioned trophies. What we care about is Sky TV and the Premier League. Hooray. You know, like uh, that's football. No, like I said, no fan alive would choose any of those other achievements over, over the treble. And so therefore it's kind of, it's extra special talking of extra special. Dun, 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 dun. Hello. <laughs> hey. So can we start now? Because that was this like pre-podcast, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe some of that will make it. It should but... make it. It sounded as if you have a great conversation there. All right. So <clears throat> what's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast. My name is Daniel. It's me. Hey, he's not introducing himself with those initials on the internet. That's nice. Hello, everyone. It's Carl. Uh, this week, we have friend of the podcast, Uncle Paul, with us. What's going on, Paul? Uh, I'm really happy now that you've introduced me as Uncle Paul. There's very little, very little that makes my heart feel more proud and happy than being introduced as Uncle Paul. Thank you. So, yeah, we do the podcast every Tuesday. Remember to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, all at Talking Tactics. If you're on Spotify, give us a follow. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, subscribe. It's free. We also do Patreon, where we talk for 45, 50 minutes, an hour, just about anything and everything so look that up how football can people get you on the internet half hopes hots half football hots you can find me in your neighborhood carl where can people find you on the internet uh anchorman 616 on twitter and you can enjoy all my writing on the athletic paul yeah so i'm the co-host of a manchester united podcast which used to be called the rank cast and is now called no question about that um uh, because we realized that ranting means something very different to what we do so we decided to change the name of the show and that's just about united and paul has an absolutely lovely singing voice <laughs> great guitarist and he posts very serene pictures on instagram when it's you, that as well thank you. you you can find me on instagram at peaceful paul if you like pictures of nature all the links will be in the description of the podcast he's a good follow guys i encourage it okay so we're gonna start at Wembley Stadium, what happened in that FA Cup final? Aston got that dub. I'm not one for like, oh, referees did this, referees did that. I believe that 11 v 11, if politics doesn't pitch Chelsea win that game, hands down 100%. But that's not what football is about. Football is about management and reacting to how things happen. This is proof that Lampard is a, is a, a rookie. Every time I see Lampard and Judy Morris talk to each other. It looks like if it's just two lads from the pub who they just dragged on to be football managers. That's just me. Again, I'm, I'm judging a book by its cover. But for the game specifically, you've got to give credit to Arteta. Tactically, he had his right. Tactically, he exploited Chelsea's weaknesses. And I think tactically, he was the better manager over um, Lampard. And I said it before, people need to respect Aubameyang. Ever since he got... And also, yeah, Aubameyang and Henri's trajectories, is, it's quite similar. Pace merchants at Dortmund redefined into a more effective winger striker, then really understood what his talents were, which is I know you're, you're a finisher, you're more than just like a winger, you're actually a finisher. The moment he honed in on that since Dortmund days and since he got to Arsenal, it's amazing. People need to really look at how much he's done in such a short space of time in probably one of the worst Arsenal teams that I've seen in recent memory and how many goals that he has scored. 
That's second goal. That's just the definition of world class. He is easily he is the best striker, pound for pound, best striker in the in in the league. And yeah, it's just one of those things where huge for Arteta. I still don't think he's the right man for Arsenal. I still think Arsenal need a more experienced coach, but it gives Arsenal fans a booster for what they could do in the next season. For Lampard and for Chelsea, hard to assess because you can always fall back on, well, we were unlucky, the coverage sending off, um, politics, so forth, and everything. But I still think the bigger picture is there are, st- like, Lampard has to learn that you have to stick to a formation, stick to a system. Because if you have a system and an ethos, come rain, come sunshine, if there's something, if there is a philosophy that your team can fall back on, it's always put in a good position. If things like a 10 man down, come to fruition. And I think you you saw the results of Lampard not having a definitive philosophy because once things went haywire, boom, Chelsea were done. Did you watch the final? Uh, yeah, I watched almost all of it. There was a brief moment where I was watching uh, Johnny Bairstow smash 82 or 41 balls in the cricket, but that's that, a that whole other conversation. That reminds me. Ask <laughs> Paul what cricket is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can't wait for that conversation. Um, okay. But no, I, I did watch most of it. I have to say I was, um, I, I kind of wanted Arsenal to win, honestly, mostly because it's bad for Jose Mourinho. You know, the victory, makes me, makes the, me the, the suffering of my enemies. Is, it's not a victory in and of itself, but I only really have one enemy. So, you know, uh, it's very condensed. Anyway, um, well, one and a half if you include Moisey. But the... Um, <laughs> The 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 game was was fascinating. I mean, when Pulisic scored that goal, I, I in fact I sent a message to to a couple of friends saying just Chelsea are just so much better than Arsenal. They're just a much much better team than Arsenal. But I think Arsenal got it together amazingly. And you know, there's this thing in soconomics where there's this um, this analysis that most football managers have like a really good head of hair because it sort of sways chairman to give them the job if they've got a really good head of hair. Of course, this doesn't apply to, you know, Zidane and Pep or whatever, but for the most part, they've got, they've just got really good heads, but often you have like lustrous heads of hair on, on football managers. Um, And I think that I think Arteta is good at football because he looks well put together. Like, I think he'll be a good manager. I don't actually believe this. What I mean is, like, I think my inherent bias is I kind of look at him and I go, he kind of looks well put together. He probably knows what he's talking about, (laughs) (laughs) which is a terrible basis to judge anything. But he seems to be doing a a pretty good job. Lampard's going bald, by the way. I know. And and I think that's why he he looks like he's just a lad from the pub at this point. Um, (laughs) Uh, I completely agree with Hope about Aubameyang, though. What what a what a player! But I also think um, it's been fascinating to see how good Pulisic has been uh, this season as well. Like how how good he's kind of grown, how well he's grown into the season. Speaking of Carl, weren't you against Pulisic against the season? You wanted him to be a flop, the worst player that's ever been signed in the history of ever, and now he's had a pretty good season. Yeah, I've said some egregious things about Pulisic. <laughs> Based on absolutely nothing, by the way, and I think I've said this on this podcast that I, I don't know why, but there was just like a a part, like a terrible part of me that just wanted him to fail, um, and, and I don't know if that's. I, I need to talk to someone about that, but there was just something about Hulisic that just I got really bad tetaclack. Like whenever I see him, I want to like slap his face or put a blue dot in front of it so I don't get to see his face. But um, he undoubtedly is a fantastic football player, and he yeah. Yeah, yeah, like quick feet. I wouldn't say he's Eden Hazard esque yet, 
I think the big difference between him and Hazard is the fact that Hazard's one well, Hazard's great strengths is when Hazard slows down and he basically lures people in to attack him and then he kicks out. Whereas Pulisic is just constantly, constantly running, which is great. Um, but I think a better manager will eventually teach him. Here's how you just add two extra rungs onto your talent ceiling. And that can I say something fun. extra, maybe blasphemous? Go for it. Is it wrong that I like Pulisic's game more than Hazard's? No, no, that's fine. And uh, the idea that like Hazard, it, it almost felt when you were watching Eden Hazard that he was just on the pitch to dribble people. If he could dribble people three times and not shoot, that's what he would prefer to do. Like he's just there to exhibit his footballing skill. He wants to nutmeg, make you sit on the floor. Pulisic gets the ball and his intention is I'm trying to get to the goal to shoot. And I appreciate that more as a fan. Even he blew out his hamstring. I, I, I didn't understand I what I was happening. Praise that. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not because I think that's it's actually silly. <laughs> it's like, yo, you blow your hamstring and then you keep running. You're probably going to be out an extra month. It's stupid. But it shows his mentality that even when I blow out my hamstring, I am going to shoot. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> like nothing's going to stop me from taking this attempt. And I like that. It's not good. I don't encourage it. But that mentality is something that I like or appreciate maybe more than Eden Hazard, who's just, yo, let's just walk the ball into the goal. No, nah, like let's take some shots. I do get what you're saying, you know, but thing with the police, like politics has been amazing. <clears throat> it's been amazing, you know, and I always said, like, no, no, this, this guy can definitely be something, but you know, um, how well he's played post COVID has been wow. So, but my thing is that, is this just a flash in the pan? So next season, can he now sustain this through the, through the better parts of next season? It is interesting to say Hazard doesn't go straight. You see, Hazard is very similar to, to Isco. Like they think a lot about what they're trying to do. And there's a lot of thought process with regards, okay, now I have the ball now and right, left, let me go around, let me pull through, okay, let me go for So Hazard and Isco are very similar, but Pulisic, even ever since his Dortmund days, is boom, straight. I'm going right into the belly of the beast. But what you see now is that his balance has improved, his um, technique has, has, has improved, and his timing has improved with regards to finding his way through channels and, and so forth, which he doesn't really have as Dortmund. So if he can still... He's, look, he's already the best American player ever. I don't care what anyone says. Like, I don't give a damn about Landon Donovan or Clint Dempsey. So if he can improve at this trajectory and everything, oh my gosh, I mean, he could be a very useful player and quite an interesting alternative to what um, Hazard um, provided. Next week, we'll go more in depth with forward about what I think about Lampard and his so-called tactics. So well, we I can think leave... we should do it now. I don't know why we're putting off to next week. If you well, no, because 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 I don't want to have like back-to-back weeks where we just talk about Chelsea for thirty-five minutes. It's your you team. Know? You know, because people come at me, oh, Daniel, you're not a real Chelsea fan. I can be critical of my team. That doesn't mean I'm fake. It just means I I can see what's happening. I love I love that concept that you cannot be a real fan if at any point in time you decide the person in charge is not the best person for the job. We're, we're in trouble, Carl. If, <laughs> if I speak. <laughs> Do you know how dumb that is? For any of those brainless fans who say you're not a real fan, if you let's say insult certain players or you say this this manager is a is a, is a piece of trash, that's my opinion and that is my right as a fan to say, well, this fan isn't right. Is that stupid sheep head mentality of oh no, if you're not behind the behind the manager and so forth, you're not with us, man. Very 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 stupid, very stupid. I, I think we can do this without calling other people stupid or saying right as a fan. I just find it very interesting that there's certain 
figures in football are, are considered above critique, which is, I suppose, to an example, to to uh, a level, there are certain people who have got cash in the bank, shall we say? I think there've been two or three podcasts where we, where I've been reluctant to criticize David de Gea, not based on what David de Gea is currently doing, but based on what David de Gea used to do. And I think Chelsea fans might be entering a similar stage here, where they're going. He might not be the best man for the job, but he did win us a Champions League or did help us win a Champions League. So he's got enough credit in the bank. Um, It's a very interesting time for quite a few European super heavyweights. At time of writing now, if you look at all the clubs you would realistically say will challenge for Champions Leagues year in, year out. Liverpool have the the correct manager. Atletico Madrid have the correct manager. Real Madrid have the correct manager. Manchester City have the correct manager. Bayern have the correct manager. That might be it. But that's basically everybody who tries to win the Champions League. Ah, well, you know, that's so what? That's, that's except okay. Barcelona. except Barcelona and Juventus. Barcelona, Juventus, PSG, Inter Milan, Manchester United, Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, that. you know what? I'll give it. I say Arsenal have the correct manager. Chelsea don't have the correct manager. There are a lot of clubs right now that have essentially gone for risky punts on who's going to be in charge for the next two or three years. Because... I wonder how much. I wonder how much is that of that is that there's this kind of perception that there are essentially only two good managers. Do you know what I mean? Let's say Zidane isn't considered a good manager. He's considered a good Real Madrid manager. Mm-hmm. Certainly in England, like for an elite club, who would you say is an absolute surefire bet other than Klopp or Guardiola? I think it's it's a very difficult shout to pick someone. And even you extend that out around Europe, there's nobody who's a, an absolute slam dunk other than those two. Are they slam dunks or are they just so good at their job? They're just re reevaluated and discombobulated our, our opinion of what a good manager football manager is because i suppose this this debate comes up with eddie howe like it, how do we rank eddie howe's bournemouth tenure when he came in charge of bournemouth they were 91 out of 92 clubs in the pyramid mm-hmm. but now he's got them relegated for the first time is eddie howe a, a bust okay carl you are you complain a lot about dortmund being the little brothers to buy in and doing <laughs> things not to control their players and keep their players and do these types of things if them being a little brother means that Manchester United get Jaden Sancho, do you still <laughs> complain about this mentality or do you accept it this one time? Hi, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> you know it's what? so nice to so nice to be on the show and get to laugh live <laughs> rather than just like when I'm walking around the park or whatever, listening and laughing. You know what? Dortmund are gonna make it very, very hard for Manchester United to get Sancho, and as well they should. And Dortmund are gonna get probably triple figure millions for Jadon Sancho and they're going to reinvest it really wisely again and they're not going to win the Bundesliga again which is I think I said this to to Aaron West who uh, does some of Fox Soccer coverage I said the the most annoying thing about Dortmund is they do everything quote unquote right for the stats people they find sleepers in the transfer market they buy them from low prices they promote youth there's a really good pathway they get all those talents that are going to be good in three four years and then they move them on for loads of money and then reinvest that money back into the team to keep this process going on. And that's fantastic. That's It's not quite moneyball, but that's you know the platonic ideal of if you want to be a, a, a numbers-based, we can't compete with the big clubs financially, so we're going to have to do something smart. The annoying thing about Dortmund is they always lose a big game to buy in. So you're just going, what is the point of being this clever if you can't get the job done once in a while? So... You know what? Go go for it, Dortmund. I hope Jaden Sancho costs 110 million, and they use that money and they go off and buy some really really smart players. I just hope once in a while they can finally beat Bayern Munich and just be done with it. 
because it's getting quite annoying now. There have been two or three seasons where I've gone, this is it. Dortmund's finally going to do it. And they don't. And I get quite sad. So that's why I didn't watch uh, Dortmund versus Bayern in the Project Restart games. Because I went, Dortmund are going to lose this game and it's going to be a waste of my time. And lo and behold, Dortmund lost. And then everyone pretty much stopped watching Bundesliga games because of, well, there's no title challenge anymore. How do you yeah. feel about Central coming to United if that does indeed happen? Is this something you're excited for? Does it give you questions about, okay, so who plays? Does that mean Greenwood has to be on the bench? Do you necessarily want that? All these kinds of questions. What do you think? First of all, we absolutely desperately need squad quality. I mean, d- desperately, because uh, we played some genuinely beautiful football in Project Restart times. And then everyone was completely cooked because Osha literally only trusts 13 players in his squad. Um, and some of those he probably doesn't trust fully. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I mean, how could anyone not be super excited about seeing a f- three of Martial, Rashford, Greenwood and Sancho starting up front for their team every week? I mean, it's going to be... And no team is going to want to play against you. No, no team is going to be like, ah, oh, can't wait to play against United. This is going to be a completely trivial job to like shut them out. So yeah, no, I mean, he's, a, he's clearly an incredible, incredible, incredible talent. And if United, I mean, the one thing I slightly disagree with with Carl, I'm not sure is that I'm not sure Dortmund are going to try and make it really difficult for United to buy Sancho. I think they're just going to make it really expensive. I think Dortmund really want United to be signing up to a £120 million deal. Um, Obviously not all at once, but, you know, over a period of time, I think Dortmund will be perfectly happy with that. Um, So I think they'll be firm on price, but open to to offers because it's clearly somewhat beneficial for them to strike while the iron top. But yeah, from a United perspective, spend that money like we can worry about left backs and defensive midfielders later. (laughs) (laughs) How I see it. Greenwood has, I think, twenty goal contributions this season. No, and I don't like, like that stat. Eight, I, I think I, I think it's eighteen goals and two assists. Yeah, I was going to say you don't need to worry about whether you like the stat or not because because really they're mostly just goals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I prefer I prefer when we keep our goals and assists separate rather than just say goals. Fine, fine. He has over we'll, we'll say over fifteen goals this season, and I don't think. Can you guys tell me when he started playing heavier minutes? Well, he played he played a lot in the Europa League, um, but really Premier League has only been since the restart, and he he's got ten Premier League right. goals. Right. So I'm thinking absurd, like, absurd finishing. So I'm it's thinking ridiculous. that if if that's only basically half, not even half a season, like 10, 12 games, if he's the one that goes to the bench to get in Sancho, is that a worthwhile trade? It must be awful to be scarred by having Mourinho as your template. So it's like you buy in a new big, exciting player. You know that the youth team player is going to be like benched and and neglected and and not considered. I, Greenwood will play loads and loads and loads of football. Yeah, I, I definitely think because oh, yeah, of course. um because there's so many games and and United's biggest problem has been. I mean, you only need one. You need one minor injury. Martial spent half the season out or a third of the season out. And um, Rashford, I mean, Rashford's injury was a a stress fracture of his back, which you really hope is not recurring. But Martial spent considerable time injured every season he's played for United. And Greenwood's a kid. You know, I guess I'm more thinking, like, if you score that many goals, I don't want to be waiting on an injury to get my chance to start. But I, I, I don't... There's going to be so many chances for Greenwood. You've I got feel to bear like I should just be starting. Uh, let's let's break it down. United season is still currently going on. They're about to go on this Europa League extravaganza once they play uh, Latsk. 
Yeah, they play last day after tomorrow. Yeah, they play then, last day after tomorrow, uh, and, then, and then they do their Europa League. So the season is still going on. That's Greenwood's got that weird tattoo of a wolf now. He's he's gonna be fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a bad tattoo. I love it when footballers. I love how like very obvious the trajectory of a footballer is. It's like, oh, I got a bit of money. Time to get a tattoo sleeve. Oh, time to get the supercar. Oh, I'm going on holiday to Dubai. Because... I think for, for Mason Greenwood, it's, oh, I've turned 18. I'm allowed to get a tattoo now. <laughs> um, Yeah, so you've got to bear in mind, Manchester United will play, will be playing about 60 games of football, 2020, 2021, or looking to play that many. There's going to be plenty of League Cup games, plenty of FA Cup games. When the Christmas period comes along, you're playing a game every three days. I'm actually not playing a game pretty much every three days. Mason Green will be getting plenty. Mason Green will, will get 25 starts next season pretty easily. Yeah, and he's literally 18 years old. At this point, you don't want to be making him play a 50-game season. It would not be good for his physiological development. He's literally still a child. So it's, you know, you're a child until you're 21 from a developmental perspective. So it, it, he should get loads and loads and loads of minutes. Wait a and second. He, should, he shouldn't have to start Wasn't every... Rashford doing that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and how did that go? It, it nearly, it half, it, yeah, it half killed him. Like Rashford's... Rashford's didn't form. Rooney do that? Yeah. You guys kind of do have a history of putting out like 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds and be like, you know, run until it hurts. You, when you say <laughs> I mean, you guys, do you mean the English or do you mean Manchester United? Either way, flip a yeah, coin. Good, good. Uh, I mean, Rooney was a, a very specific physiological type I think, which is is very unusual. I mean, you don't get many eighteen year olds look look like he looked when he was eighteen, yep. um, and and it cost him dearly. But I, I think that would be massively beneficial to Mason Greenwood's long term future at Man United if Jaden Sancho signs massively, because you can have four really good forwards for three positions. Absolutely, you absolutely can. <laughs> it's 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 a really good purchase for for for, for United. You know. Um, I would still have liked Sandro to maybe stay at Dortmund for a few more seasons, similar to how I'd liked I would have liked Pogba to stay at Juventus for a few more because I think he can be truly amazing. But he just needs to just continue to develop and just enjoy the Dortmund situation because you don't know whether moving to a new team, new situation, that will hamper his the, the development. You know, but um, no, 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 look, man, it's 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 a good signing, but it's all down to Solskjaer. A young player is only as, as good as the person who coaches him. And is Solskjaer really the right man to tutor and to watch over Sancho's development? Remains to be seen. So I, I have extremely mixed feelings about Solskjaer's tenure at United as a whole and what is going to, what seems likely to come. I have extremely mixed feelings about Solskjaer as a manager. But the one thing I don't think you can argue with is that he's an incredibly good coach for a young forward to have. And the evidence that I would give you is our current front three, who are basically all on fire. Yep. I mean, Rashford's recovering from a stress fracture, so he's had like uh, peaks and troughs, but he was on fire before he got that stress fracture. And I don't think, especially given how destroyed Martial and Rashford were by Jose, you can't like give Jose loads of stick for destroying them and not give Solskjaer some credit for the level of freedom of expression that they, I mean, it is a joy to watch. Never mind, like, again, never mind the kind of tribal aspect of it. Just these three young men could easily just feel like they've got the weight of their world on their shoulders and, you know, there's pressure on them to to not make any mistakes and da 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 da, da. They clearly feel 
very free to express their substantial talent. So I wouldn't have any concerns at all from that perspective. Now, if your goal is, I want to win the Champions League in the next two years, you probably shouldn't sign for Man United, you know. But if your goal is, I want to really enjoy my football and you know, play in a really good team and grow as a player, as a as a young forward in particular, I think there's no, I don't have any doubts about Solskjaer in that, in that regard. Yeah, no, I agree totally with Paul. Um, whether or not it's Solskjaer himself being the coach or if it's the work of Mike Feeland and Kieran McKenna and Michael Carrick, but Solskjaer very clearly has a team at Manchester United that is improving strikers and is improving a number of uh, players. I do have doubts about him in, in two or three places, but in terms of taking someone who's a B and turn them into a B plus, he's really good at that. You got to bear in mind, maybe October to December twenty eighteen, people were saying Marcus Rashford should go out on loan, maybe to Everton because he, you know, he, he didn't look Manchester United quality, and then he came back and looked fantastic when Solskjaer came in. Um, and now you're looking at him, who's you know he's legitimately a, a looking like a twenty goal a season striker. Bear in mind, he's playing on the left hand side of the pitch. The fact that Solskjaer realised that if you put Martial up front and rational left, not only do those two players complement each other well in terms of their strengths, but they cover each other's weaknesses quite well. So Martial's got better hold-up play, Rashford's better um, driving to the goal rather than standing on his heels. So that's really good. And then adding Greenwood instead of Dan James there adds just a, another role of a clinical finishing. I think another thing for Sancho is that also frees up Greenwood to be like, right, cool, when I do get game time, can I be the striker instead of can I be the right winger? So that sort of frees him up a bit more as well. Now, it's going to be a very interesting front three, front four for Manchester United, uh, which, again, add, makes it even more important who's going to be the defensive midfielder who has to do two people's jobs because Paul Pogba doesn't want to defend. Ah, Paul Pogba loves defending. <laughs> hey, Paul Pogba loves defending. Did you... Uh, the, Paul Pogba has always said all he wants to be is an all-round midfielder. He doesn't want to be a number 10. He loves defending and he's incredibly positionally disciplined as well when when he's asked to play that role. Uh, I just think um, we need a defensive midfielder because Paul Pogba should not have to exclusively defend. Yes, I've said, I've said this on a previous podcast, but everything about Paul Pogba would make more sense if he was five foot nine instead of six foot two. Because you're like, oh, you, you, you can't do everything. Therefore, I'll go get someone <laughs> talented to do it. To explain my point, thank you for the pause to make that great joke. Um, <laughs> I was I was trying to work it out. It's like, yeah, it kind of, it kind of makes sense, but he he really takes very specific, magnificent advantage of being six foot two via the means of like he has a he does a real good line in sticking out his legs. Do you know what does, I mean? Like he covers ground so well. Yeah. In the way he can cover 30 yards in like four steps. But I think if he wasn't six foot two, you wouldn't have this, oh, can you defend and attack and do this and do that? And I think Manchester United bought Pogba because they want him to be all of Juventus' midfield at the same time. <laughs> Whereas what he should have done is just been the Paul Pogba in Juventus' midfield and they should have supplied someone to give you Perlo's passing or supplied him with someone to do Marquisio's running or supplied him with someone to do Arturo Vidal's Arturo Vidal's um, or provided him with a manager who won't like sociopathically undermine his Okay, okay, well yeah. easy, yeah. easy, easy. <laughs> anyway, thing, you can't you help know. yourself, can you? Things this is what I'm here. I'm here to. Now, I'm here to run an agenda. <laughs> now, okay, you people might look at oh Manchester United have, have had a great day. They're linked with Central, 120 million. The biggest coup that Manchester yeah. United have pulled off today. <laughs> 
is that they have got the anvil off of their neck that is Alexis Sanchez. And might I add that this is another reason why I dislike Antonio Conte. They, he took Ashley Young. Cool. He took Sanchez. Cool. All he took from Chelsea was Victor Moses. You couldn't take Drinkwater. You couldn't take Marcus Alonso. You couldn't take Zappa Costa. You couldn't take Bakayoko. Like all of these players. And, and now Sanchez is off United's books, which should save them around 50 to 60 million pounds that they can spend. It's because he believes himself to be an enemy of Chelsea. So he doesn't want to help them. He wants to help Chelsea's it's, enemies. It's actually, it's actually stupid. If I could just read what Conte said on TV. This is taken from Football Italia, one of Half Hope's favorite sites. He said on TV, we have to grow and improve in all areas, including off the field, and a big club should protect its players more. We'll discuss it all at the end of the season. I have to meet with I <laughs> I have to meet the president, and he's in China right now. <laughs> it was the way he said it too. He's like, oh, he's in China. I can't talk to him. It was very, very intense this year, difficult, and the lads did well to isolate ourselves and create unity within us. Despite the difficulties, I don't like people who get on the bandwagon. And I saw a lot of that with Enter This Year. We had to eat dung for months. I'm pretty sure he said eat shit. And just dung is what they've gone with for the translation. And we've got zero protection. My problem is that I have a vision. I see the path we have to take. And I know what we need to do. I saw the other day an interview with Luciano Spalletti. Uh, an, an, an interview that he gave at Inter in 2017. We're now in 2020 and nothing has changed. Half hope, are we right that this guy just goes around and just collects severance checks? Because it seems to me like he's trying to get sacked again. No, I mean, like I said, I'm just confused. It just, it just seems confused because, again, like <clears throat> I've sort of been on and off following, you know, Intel's run with Syria. But I just think that, you know, because look, I remember Conte as a, as a player and he was a very, very emotional player, very impulsive and so forth, you know, you, similar to how his old Chelsea. Tenure wins, you can't always have it all your own way. And which is why, like, I think the rumor now is that if Juve are unhappy with, with Sari, he wants to return back to Juventus. And Nedved and all those guys at Juve are happy to have him. But the owners and the general board and people are like, nah, 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 that's not happening. So they're the guys who are who don't want to bring Sari back, but there are other people in the Juve, within the Juve decision making setup that actually want to bring him back. So maybe as Juventus, he just he lived this luxury in which you are protected from the media. You're always supported. It's like a huge, massive family. You know, you don't go to Chelsea. I know he was at Juve for many years. You don't go to Juve. You don't go to Inter Milan and Chelsea. Wait, no, the culture is different. You're out on your own. You know, you have to not be a manager. It's not the kind of family that's Juve is where you're protected 24-7. I think he just needs to be real, realistic. You know, he's quit his last five, his last four jobs. With Siena, before he went to Juventus, he quit because he wasn't supported in the transfer market. I believe the same thing happened with Juventus. Italy, the same thing. We all know what happened at Chelsea. This is a, this is a thing. I, this guy that... just goes around. He, this his, his, his major problem is I don't think he knows how good he is. Yes, he's, yes he's, I think he's, he's right. He's, he's really good, and he can take trash players, collect them in his idea and his philosophy, and make them great. But he wants more help on top of that. So he's looking like... I did all of this with these trash players <laughs> and I, I should be supported to do more. I'm sure the club is maybe looking at it like, man, we gave you like the players you wanted. Like we got you Christensen. We got you Moses. We got you Lukaku. We got you all these players. It's not our fault that they're not as good as Juventus is right now. So just, you know, be patient. But he's like, he wants everything instantly. It's like, it, it doesn't work like that, man. You're really good there when you identify Conte doesn't quite understand what makes himself good. Uh, I think there have been two or three managers that, don't quite understand that. And I think 
I think that the thing about being a football manager is eventually your flaws calcify and then you become them or and you either adapt or you just get stuck. And I think one thing that's become really apparent with Conte is he wants, I, I don't think it's just transfer control. I think he just wants a degree of autonomy that just doesn't exist in modern football anymore. Right. When he talks about, you know, if let's look at what Inter Milan have done. They've bought loads of players in a win now philosophy, in a sort of I hate using football philosophy in football, sorry. In a in a win now hill, right? They've bought Christian Eriksen, uh, you know, apart from Lukaku, who's 26, 27, nearly the majority of the players they've bought are clo- entering their 30s in their prime years, English experience, and they're not going to get any better and they're not going to have much resale value. If Inter Milan don't win a Serie A in the next two to three years, that's it. The person who's going to come in after Conte has got to work out. You don't buy Ashley Young for your football club to get better in the future. They got Godin as well, isn't he? Like yeah, 32, Godin didn't, like... didn't quite work out. And I think what's really interesting what are you here complaining? is, I think the really interesting thing here about Conte is, and this is the re- this is why I find him a really fascinating manager, because he's very often right and wrong at the same time. Mm. So if you look at Chelsea, yeah, okay, the fact that you've gone, I don't want Diego Costa in my football club anymore, let's move on and, and try something else. Yeah, fine, justifiable. And he foresaw more before anyone that, that Diego Costa was on his way down. That's the right thing to do. Telling Diego Costa via text message, wrong thing to do. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, Antonio Conte this season, when he takes over into Milan going, you know, I can finally get Romelu Lukaku. He's the guy I need to do. He's the guy to, to spearhead this Inter Milan attack. And if I pair him with this person and this person, and this person, I'm going to create really, really good Inter Milan because Juventus are going to be vulnerable because Sarri's going to take a while to work out. Correct thing to do. And I think the really interesting thing for him right now is he's saying that he wants loads more money and he wants loads more control. And Inter Milan's presidents are going, are you joking? We've given you the most amount of money in a summer and January transfer window in Inter Milan history and you finish second. And that only happened because Lazio and a few other clubs imploded. Whereas he's going, they were there for the taking. If you give me more money, I can definitely beat them. Whereas Inter Milan's gone, we've already given you all the money and you didn't. And I think that's the interesting thing about Conte is that, like you say, he is very good at taking B's, B pluses and getting A minuses and, and his inventiveness at Chelsea and his inventiveness at other clubs has shown he's really good at, at that coaching bit and bringing in players. But I think what's also happened is once you win all of those trophies and you get to a certain level of being a manager, maybe you don't want to do that anymore. And you've seen that in, in other football managers. I know we're gonna we keep taking swipes at Mourinho here, but Mourinho's big thing was his players were fitter than everyone else. And then he was a really good man, man manager. And I think Mourinho basically won so many titles. He went, you know what? I don't need to take these guys around anymore because I'm so good at man management, they're gonna train themselves. And I think that's what's happened to Conte. Conte's gone, I don't wanna have to keep working with B's and B pluses. I want clubs to buy me A's into Milan and Chelsea have gone, those sorts of players are really expensive. Can you not just do what you're really good at and get us trophies in the first place? I think Inter Milan, yeah, Inter Milan have had one of the best seasons in a long, long time. But there was definitely a point in time where it looked as if they could have won Serie A, and they didn't. And if Juventus sort themselves out, which move on, sorry, because I don't think that's going to work. I think Inter Milan just missed their window. Is it a game every day or is it just Friday, Saturday? It is almost either every day or at least every other day. But there is a European game. If you combine the Europa League and the Champions League, there's a game every day. From it, it starts as a game every day when you combine both competitions. Every day to like the 20-something, I think. So it's like World Cup 
of European football, basically. Oh, so exciting. <laughs> um, so this maybe the only time I feel as if I'm getting value for my money in terms of my uh, <laughs> expensive sports subscription. The thing is, like I've um, I celebrated shamelessly, shamelessly the glorious formerly dominant team that I support. Uh, that used to win the league every year or lose by a point or goal difference or whatever, I celebrated our third place absolutely shamelessly for the pure reason that I wanted to sit back with feet up and enjoy this period and not have any stress on it of like, oh, are we going to be in the Champions League next season? Like, just wanted that out of the way so we could just enjoy the festival of football. Juve beats Leon, City beats Real Madrid. We all know what's happened with Chelsea, Bayern, and Barca beats Napoli. Uh, yeah, I, I think Cristiano Ronaldo is going to beat Leon. Sadly, <laughs> <laughs> and Madrid one nil up against City. It's it's advanced City. Two one. Oh my gosh, that is that is it was so long ago. Don't worry. That <laughs> is the most. That is the most exciting tie. I mean, you know, uh, before Zidane, I could never imagined having any like positive emotions towards Real Madrid. But now that Zidane is their manager, I am legally obligated to kind of want him to do well. Uh, it's easy that it helps that it's against City, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see a Madrid turn around. But Can I mean, it's going to be massive. This tie has got lot, a lot less interesting for me now, thanks to the cast ruling. And I'll be really interested to see if betting lines have changed for uh... Manchester City winning the Champions League now. Manchester City know they're going to be in the Champions League next season. That's one of those things that you can't really evaluate. But I just find it just one of those like, oh, yeah, well, City will be around next season in the Champions League. So maybe they're not going to go supernova as quickly as we will think. Do you see any hope for, for Chelsea against Bayern? No, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry, man. <laughs> they're what? N'Golo Kante's injured. Pulisic is injured. They're now by three injured. goals and they have to go to Allianz. They have to go to Allianz the and they're missing their best... best, best defensive midfielder, their best attacking option right now, and pretty much their best defender. The last time Chelsea went to Allianz, they got a 1-1 draw and it was considered a miracle. And they <laughs> won the Champions League and they had to do it on penalties. How they're going to score three goals without conceding one to score four? <sighs> it's not happening. Bayern Munich, are, can, you, can, you, can you call Bayern Munich dark horses for anything? But I think... No. There you are. Bayern Munich are probably the best squad for this yeah i think in a single elimination because it's single elimination rather than two-legged ties i think things slightly turn towards teams that just have the most attackers so i'm giving a little bit of precedence to paris Saint-Germain, a little bit of precedence to juventus because cristiano ronaldo just knows how to do it when the time comes i'm gonna leave a little bit more because messi is messy but i also think Bayern munich fantastically balanced squad fantastic pressing now and just have a manager that understands how to get the most of it. So yeah, Bayern Munich will probably, if it wasn't for that very strange bracket, that means Bayern Munich have to go through all of those very, 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 you know, Bayern Munich will probably have to get past Juve or probably have to get past one of the other favourites. I'd say Bayern Munich were a lock for the final. If if I give you seconds, you can only answer this question in, in the amount of seconds. If Napoli beat Barcelona, what's the number <laughs> in time? <sighs> That Setien lasts in the Barcelona job. Zero point eight. <laughs> it, it, it has to be under like twenty. 
because like they lose and then immediately if you go to their like barcelona.en or whatever it is they'll have the picture of the corner flag or the badge and it'll be like you know and a, a co- communication aficionado or whatever it is and then it'll be like oh yeah barcelona have let go of kike setien or it's not kike what's his name yeah kike setien yes yeah, I, I know things i just doubt myself setien so yeah I, it's under 30 seconds for sure there's no way they can lose to Napoli. No, no, no. I was like, Napoli are missing Insigne as well. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. An aside, but just the Atalanta thing reminds me. Have you guys heard about the Illichich story? I yeah, yeah. If, if it's true, that's quite sad. I know, I know, if if it's true, that's my statement. <laughs> Damn, homie. Oh man, that's tough. That's, that's tough. That's messed up, man. All right, so yeah, that's our little Champions League. I never, I don't like doing previews too much because, truth be told, we have no idea what's going to happen. It's the Champions League; anything's happening. The only thing that we know for sure is that Chelsea aren't getting to, into the quarterfinals. That's the only thing we know for sure. And even if they get into the quarters, half hope semis minimum. I think he went too far. You should have gone with quarters minimum. If more even quarters minimum is looking a bit a bit sketchy. <laughs> I I feel on multiple occasions you've told me that one of your dreams is to follow around Set Blatter for a day or two mm-hmm. or a week and write like the story of what he does on a weekly basis and just give it to one of, I don't know, the Guardian or write a book, whatever. How do you feel about the Infantino news, man? <laughs> Stasky, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, football refuses to reform itself, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, I, I, the amount of hubris and arrogance involved in football from top down i wouldn't say i'm against i'm a against modern football person i think in in most you know areas of life i'm vaguely a futurist and vaguely believe things that will will get better the longer time goes on and as more people get enfranchised and more people speak up and get better technology and less people die younger and whatnot but football does seem to be getting a lot worse a lot quicker doesn't it to throw it back to some classic episodes of Talking Tactics, I'm going to bring up Rory Smith of the New York Times. Um, he brought up a... He said something that I've more or less agree with, which is basically, during lockdown, there was a point in lockdown where I thought pretty much every single league was going to get null and voided and whatnot. And I thought, we oh, I mean, this would be a really, really good time to dramatically reform football. And if only for a season, season and a half, but like introduce not salary caps or whatever, but it introduced ways to make football fairer in order to make sure all of the football clubs survive. When you bear in mind, at time of writing, at time of recording, League One doesn't really exist. Yeah, you had your playoffs and whatnot, and you had relegation, but there are two levels of the English pyramid that don't really exist. Earlier in the season, we lost Bury and we nearly lost Bolton. And I thought our partway through lockdown, where all these football clubs went, if we don't have games anymore, we're going to stop existing. It'd be really cool if the FA or someone went, you know what, here's some form of financial regulation in order to make sure every single football club survives. And it also requires some of the higher ups to wealth distribution is what I'm saying. I thought we were going to get some wealth distribution in football. What we got was we're going to bring back all the football in Project Restart and the teams that are going to be able to survive are the ones that already have loads of money. And oh, look, here's Tom Hotspur taking out a very large loan from the Bank of America in order to survive. And I went, oh, that European Super League is is coming. Um, and I've gone from a place of like tiny hope that we're going to get some wealth dis- distribution and a fairer form of European football to I, I just cannot see 
football in the late 2020s or the early 2030s that doesn't have a European Super League. And maybe that's dark pessimism for me. But when I look at what's going on in FIFA uh, and just other sort of, this sort of movement to, well, let's make five subs a rule. And this current talk about how the drinks break might stay. And then you'll, you know, when people say the drinks breaks might stay and my brain is just going, they're going to find a way to sneak an advert into that, aren't they? Yep. And again, I have no proof of this. And this is not me talking as, as a football fan. This is me talking as someone who spends way too much time reading sports newspapers. Do you watch golf? And, Do you watch yeah, golf, Carl? Do you know uh, how they like, um, I don't know, they'll be like going from hole to hole or something. And then they'll still have like the golf on screen. But then on another screen right beside it, it'll be another commercial. Eventually, that's going to happen with football, I think. I think like the football will always be on the screen, but they'll split the screens and it'll obviously be like some betting company or McDonald's or somebody. That's what happens when you watch some streams. Some streams, you'll just see the adverts playing as the football. Yeah, so like, yeah, that drinks break yeah. is it's gonna be. And, and, and this is this is just me being uh, uh, a mardi miserable git. But um, I was listening to a recent one where you were talking about you know Juventus getting nine in a row and, and all these other major European clubs getting to to a certain point. In, in their streaks, you know, you just look at what happened this weekend where PSG got another domestic treble. Bear in mind, no one had really got domestic trouble before 2014 in France. And now PSG have got domestic trouble in four of the last six years. It's uh, Football needs to find a way to reform itself because if it doesn't, the only way I can see anything happening is with the Super League. And I've maybe it's the fact I've spent a season, you know, nearly a year following a football team that isn't in the top 20 football clubs in Europe. But I'm also at the point now where if the big clubs want to make a European Super League, go, go away, leave it, go away. And the rest of the football clubs will sort themselves out because what the, the European Super Heavyweights are doing just isn't beneficial for the good of the game. So to, to, to wheel it all the way back to Sancho, I'm excited on a Manchester United level that Jaden Sancho will probably go to Manchester United from like a wider football fan level. I'm kind of bored. Like obviously, oh great, okay. So the most marketable English player that isn't at Ma- isn't in the Premier League goes to Manchester United because, of course, you look into the branding and you say Jaden Sancho will be worth X amount of money, and he takes Manchester United to X amount in the, on like a global sphere. You know, well, this is just so the, the great attraction of Sancho for me was they was a fantastic young player who rather than take the established route of trying to play through one of the massive clubs in England, decided to go out and make his own story. And mm. the fact that he's decided, you know, I want to come back to Manchester United this early on, it's just a little... Hey, this a, that's a brave underdog story. He's come <laughs> to the scrappy it's third players in the league. <laughs> <laughs> True, but it, it's just a little... Um, the idea of Manchester United spending... They're, they're going to at least spend 95 million on this, right? And the idea of spending 95 million on a player transfer and the wages, and this is no one's fault. This is just, you know, this is not how football works. And I know this is not how football works. I understand these two things are very, very separate. But, and I know, you know, Manchester United didn't follow their stuff, but it was just that sort of, that's an obscene amount of money to be spending at a time where we should be looking after each other a bit more. But hey, you know, if Sancho scores a lot of goals, then a lot of people are going to be really happy. So maybe I'm just being a Debbie Downer. I guess what I have to say about this is meaningless, given it's good for me personally. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But but it is sort of slightly more interesting that he's coming to United than gone to City or Liverpool. It's more interesting that Chelsea have got Werner and Ziyech than if they've gone, than they'd gone to... City or Liverpool. So, you know, I mean, I, I know it's not exactly socialist utopia, but I, it's it's 
potentially interesting, I think, at least. I, I, it's not a transfer that I find specifically depressing um, in the way that a lot of... Like when, say, like Bayern signing Hummels and Goethe and yes. Lewandowski, they were, that was like specifically depressing on a whole nother level. Yeah, and it's not like that. And, and if Kai Havertz going to Chelsea excites me more than Kai Havertz going to Bayern Munich, the idea of Sancho is going to be playing up front with Marcus Rashford is really, really cool and really, really fun. I just find maybe I've gone naked at Southampton. I'm just like top level football. Just sort of, <laughs> I've lost love for it, mate. <laughs> if I could link in one question. So someone asked, will Paul be having a word with his co-host Ed about this negative tweet? And yeah, the- hold on, hold on, Daniel. I'm just going to stop you there. Absolutely not. <laughs> if, I, if I had a word with my co-host about his negative tweets, it's all we would ever talk about. Me and I, you know, um, the expression, I am not my brother's keeper. This is, this is, this is, should be on my Twitter bio. I don't even use my Twitter account. That's how I Twitter feel about bio. Apple. That's how yeah, I feel about yeah. Apple's Twitter page. I'm exactly. just like, look, that has nothing to do with me. The baptisms, <laughs> the circumcisions, the menstruation <laughs> I don't have anything it's not it's him he's his own guy he's entertaining go follow him on Twitter but don't come to me with yo have hopes at it again I don't I don't control this guy <laughs> <laughs> oh Daniel we're the Spider-Man meme pointing at each other <laughs> right now wait wait yeah. Ed, so Ed tweeted almost no Sancho updates are news mostly it's the same stuff chopped up and recycled again and again for clips for clicks club wants player club will sell player clubs haggle over price Woodward shits the bed somewhere, twas ever thus. I mean, I, I think, first of all, he's not being serious, for God's sake, people. <laughs> like, it's 2020. Have people not learned that English people are being sarcastic when they tweet? Like, this is this is just, you just take that as a default. Um, and, and I don't think it's a negative tweet. I mean, actually, I think he is... He's just slightly wrong about today in particular, because I think there has been, <laughs> clearly there's been some yeah. news today um, and some movement behind the scenes of, of a genuine nature. Um, but Woodward will do something stupid at some point in this transfer dealing. He'll get something wrong in the contract or he'll pay, you know, 30 million more than someone else would have to pay or whatever it might be, because he's rubbish at transfers and anyway even if he doesn't get this one wrong he's going to get the next thing wrong or going to fail to do the thing that we need to do as well so no I'm not going to have a word with him a because he's not entirely wrong and b because oh my god I would never do anything else that, that was from at jacks365 he says I just want to say I love your podcast oh so. thanks man thanks yeah. <laughs> from black emoji what does a post messy Barcelona look like bad <laughs> Ooh. Dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't think that. I don't even think that Champions League quality. What the, the well? The reason I want have hopes take on this specifically is he's always talking about the oos, the oos. So isn't this the oos's time? <laughs> no, the well, no. But, but the funny thing though is that the oos is probably going to get moved moved on because I, I don't think so. they're gone. They don't. They don't respect him there. I need that boy free. Yeah, I, I like Usman Dembele a great deal. But think it would be unreasonable to expect him to carry Barcelona in the way that Messi oh, no, carried no, no, Barcelona. No, no. If you look at the, the lineage, you had Ronaldo, then or rather, was it? Was I think it was probably Romario, then Ronaldo, then Rivaldo, then Ronaldinho, then he then had Messi, and really Messi should have been been like three, four years, but he just 
has given us what 10, 15 years of like brilliance, which isn't no normal because it should have been Messi for three, four, five years like the others, then Neymar now does his three, four, five years and so forth. Yeah, but, but it, 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 just met with that whole process. Neymar was like, all right, I'm not going to wait four or five years being a side charm. I want to be the main man now. Moves over to PSG. Messi was like, well, you do know that I will eventually either stop playing or, or finish my final year in New York's old boys. <laughs> now, what do you do? So Barca are like, okay, um, <laughs> well, who's the next up-and-coming South American dude? Uh, we can't really see him anyway. So if they don't get that star marquee player, guys like Atletico will be licking their lips. Like, okay, let's let's now do battle with Real Madrid for this league title if Barcelona completely go off the map. Mm-hmm. When Deportivo won it with Makai, when Valencia won it with Benitez boys, Barcelona were guys who were top four, yeah. the fifth, fourth, third during the whole Rivaldo days. So I'm not saying I believe this to be the case because I actually don't. Is there any chance of a Ewing effect? Is there is there any For chance Messi. that yeah yeah just Barcelona <laughs> have to get their act together in some way? I, I mean, and I don't mean that they're gonna like then win the Champions League and win La Liga, but look less of a kind of collapse waiting to happen. Is is there any chance of that? I think structurally, I think there's when you get Messi's very large wages off the books, you have a certain amount of money to play around with. But I think there is so much institutional infighting and so much argument at the top of Barcelona as to what happens in the here and now that they'll take maybe two to three years to sort themselves out. I think what's going to be really interesting is, in all likelihood, you're going to get what happens to Barcelona in the same way as what happened to Manchester United when Sir Alex Ferguson retired, what's happened Mm. to Arsenal when... Uh, Arsene Wenger retired, where basically when you have once in a generation fantastic talent that can do everything, that's I think that's the really interesting thing about Messi is that we should start really evaluating him and his input and his power over Barcelona as more of what Ferguson and Wenger and possibly even what Pep did for Barcelona as well. That- do, you, um, do you mean what, Veng- what happened to Arsenal three years into Wenger's career at Arsenal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's, levels There's levels. Wenger's <laughs> yeah. not as good as Wenger's not as good as Ferguson, and Wenger will admit that now. I think, and uh, yeah, I think I think Messi. I think there's a very good chance Barcelona are bottoming out, or at least one one or two seasons where they just don't compete anywhere in, in terms of a league title. And then, of course, I think things will value, you know, will even itself out because Barcelona have so much more money compared to the other Spanish clubs. Maybe this is me being hopeful because I'm just got a morbid curiosity to see what happens when empires fall. But I wouldn't be surprised if Barcelona, in one of the first three Messi-less seasons, finished sixth one season. <laughs> so basically, Messi's like, what's what's the king, Louis XIV, where he's like, I am the state. I think he's the Sun King. I think right now he's the Sun King. I think when you've looked at the activity that's happened at Barcelona that's since lockdown what? happened, and the fact that Messi pretty much went against someone who. As far as I was concerned, he was really close with Abadal. And the fact he went to Abadal, what are you talking about? The pay rises are not coming from this section. They're coming from this. Um, How are yeah, you getting G-checked been, by a player, man? Like, come on. Man. Messi's like, been on the... Te- well, he's, this is the thing. Messi's not a player. He's something else. He's and the I club. Think- he's the club itself. By the way, this I'm sure this question comes because I read this report today and I went to BBC just to make sure it's the right thing. But the president, Bartomeu, he told um, a Spanish newspaper that Barca generated 200 million euros less than expected between March and June because of the coronavirus pandemic, which makes signing Neymar this year an unfeasible proposition. 
So if we go back to kind of Half Hope's lineage, like Neymar should have been the guy. And then I guess he got his head turned by PSG to go be the Kyrie Irving of France. But it is such a bizarre, and it's such a bizarre set of events that Barcelona did that, yes, maybe I don't know what exactly happened to Neymar for Neymar to go, I want to go to PSG. But when you consider the mistakes Barcelona made in the transfer market after that, Hmm. it's absurd. Not only did Barcelona spend, not only did Barcelona pick the wrong successor to Neymar, but they massively strengthened Liverpool and been giving them all the Coutinho money, right? Like yeah. you, there, there are there are ways to blunder, but the way Barcelona, and you know, hindsight is twenty twenty or whatnot. But I don't think anyone at Barcelona could have foreseen that in what they were doing with the Neymar money, not only would be the wrong thing, but also just completely combust and create a brand new challenger in the Champions League. Paul, can you tell me what cricket is? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think cricket might be my favourite sport, which is weird. It was always football, but I've got kind of obsessed with cricket since last year. Um, I used to watch it a, a lot as a kid, and then it went off terrestrial TV in England in 2005. And then uh, last year was sort of the most. Now I've got the sports channels and stuff for football. Um, so I was able to watch it, and last year was one of the most extraordinary years in the history of the sport particularly in this country. So so cricket is the closest analogy with US sports is obviously baseball. There, there are many differences. Um, it's, a, it's a bat and ball sport. I mean, to actually explain it would be crazy because I think the thing that is very different about cricket than other sports is that there are three radically different formats of the game played, mostly by the same people. So there is a very kind of high octane... Um, there's a very high octane version of it called 2020 cricket which is what they play in the Indian Premier League which is the the kind of big money bit of cricket um, where you kind of it it lasts about three hours and it's very kind of hard hitting and, and like all about big sixes then there's so that takes about three hours to play then there's a version that takes five days to play and it can end in a draw and over a summer you play five lots of those five day games and that series can end in a draw and that's the best form of the game yeah. oh it's so good it's so yeah. good honestly so, it's, it's novelistic it's it's it just reveals itself and is this is why you're always tweeting about it because yeah, it lasts for days uh, yes um, and there's a lot of it as well when it's on i mean this this summer obviously it's been less than normal but yeah uh, there's a version that lasts three hours a version that lasts one day and a version that lasts five days and you prefer the five-day version? Yeah, I mean they're very different experiences. The 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 kind of shorter formats are very exciting and dramatic in their own right. But um, you know, remember when me and you were talking about uh, the Champions League versus the basketball playoffs, and I was saying that the thing about football is the reason why when football's really good, it's the best of all of the, the sports is because for loads of the time it's boring. So when it's really amazing, it feels extra amazing. Cricket's like that times a million. Yep. <laughs> like, um, when a five-day cricket match goes down to the last five minutes of that five days and then there is a result, there is nothing like it in sport. It is because you've literally got five days of tension and build-up. It's amazing. And and it, though, the story of those five days only makes sense in retrospect. So... You know, at, at the end of every day, you've got pundits talking about what's going to happen and what that day means and all that kind of stuff. But really, you don't know until the end. I, I love that sport, man. Personally, for me, I prefer the, I think it's the it's the one-day cricket where it's, what, 50 overs? Yeah. That they play at the World Cup. 
because I remember what's it called? Is it Shaobakta? Fast yeah, Shaobakta. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like basically, like I think this is when I was watching. I like, see that can be fun because it's a lot quicker, much more precise, and especially when it's down to the last few overs is exciting. But I've got to be real with you. That's five day stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> My thing about this is that whenever I can see fans in the stadium like reading a newspaper or just doing something deeply and not watching the game then i'm suspect because the difference between that and in football in a big game every single minute the fans are glued to that but, game but there's only ah, 90, there's only 90 there's only 90 of those minutes in a good game and in a cricket match you've got like an eight hour day and that's sort of the magic of it really it's those moments when nobody's reading a newspaper, everyone's completely glued to it, are enhanced by the very existence of the gentle pace, the very mm. existence of the pa- the periods of time where you can read a newspaper. Um, I, I uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a great advocate for that sport. And the, the kind of one-day stuff is is great. And, and like England won the World Cup in absolutely insane fashion last season. <laughs> I mean, it was completely ridiculous. So uh, the game lasts 50 overs, right? That's 50 lots of six balls on each side and New Zealand and England got exactly the same number of runs. This never happens in one day cricket. So they had this thing called a super over, which is basically a penalty shoot out of cricket where they have one over each. Um, and uh, they got the same number of runs again, but England won because there's this arcane rule in place where everyone knew this before. Like it wasn't like they just made it so England could win. Although if you look at like fans of certain countries on the internet, they will definitely tell you it's because they made mm-hmm. the rules so England could win. But it was in place. Everyone knew it was in place before the game started. So that doesn't really make sense. But the, the team that got the most boundaries in normal time won it. So uh, the tension was absolutely unreal. England and won every, the Cricket World Cup by not yeah. without technically beating New Zealand at anything, <laughs> except for boundaries, Carl. Except yeah, we, except we, for we hit more boundaries than them, which we only did because our captain, Lucky no, our captain was best mates with their former captain, who was like, "You lads should try and hit more sixes," and he was like, "Yeah, we should," and that's why we won the World Cup. So you've done everything. I'm assuming you've played this too. Well, if you go to um, English school, you have to play yeah. it, but I didn't want to play it. <laughs> and I think I got a golden dog. Oh, no. So. Oh, no. So, but what I did is that because I didn't want to, to play, because I'm, you know, you know why I was, you know why this pissed me off? We were forced to play it during when Senegal played Turkey at the World Cup, uh, which really, really pissed me off because I did everything to go out. But these piece of losers said, "Nope, everybody must be involved." So, I, so I had to listen to the game on the on the radio. But when we we're fielding, I made it my thing that you know what, just to show how pissed of I'm, we're, we're all gonna crack jokes. So I made, I just made that. I just mentioned, I just made everyone laugh as we were fielding. So everyone just basically cracking jokes and laughing. No, we got destroyed. I said, "If we're gonna get destroyed, well, we're gonna have fun while we get destroyed and just mock this thing." So yeah, I just made everyone laugh when we were fielding. So. At the buzzer. Given what's changed due to coronavirus, what's been the biggest revelation to you about how football operates or is consumed? That is what has been revealed as unnecessary, meaningless, vital, and what needs to change in the future. None of it's really a revelation, but, you know, football is for the fans. And that means both like football played in front of empty stadiums is inherently 
less special, I think. I think that's a completely, I think most people would agree with that. It has been fascinating to see how to see how it's changed. I would love to see, I talked to Carl about this right at the beginning of lockdown. I'd love to see the data guys do a deep dive in how many more short passes there are than normal in a Premier League game, because that felt like that way to me. But the thing that, it's not a revelation, but it's incredibly obvious, is that normally the value proposition for television in the UK with football is absolutely rubbish because this is what it should be all the time. You should always be able to watch all of the games. Like, it's it's completely crazy that you can't still. Basically, to pick up on both of Paul's points, I think the first thing is, I think just for me personally, fans are like an extra source to football. But what I've seen is that there really is not that much of a difference for me personally, my enjoyment of the game with or without fans. You know, because my focus isn't on the... 300 pound dude with no shirt with his fans colors tattooed on his on his beer belly my focus are on the football players and on of their high skill i get the whole thing oh we want to force guys to go out and watch the game but my goodness based on just how much you have to pay per month for this stuff before this you're not getting value for your money this is what it should be like like again i speak like whenever i go to Nigeria, like for Christmas. I'm like, yeah, this should be how it should be like if you're paying a certain amount because in in Nigeria, because they don't they don't ban with the laws, all the games are on there. 3 p.m. games from Bundesliga, Syria, La Liga, Premier League. It's all I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Then you go back to England and you get like one game every ice age. So there won't be any fans for a while. This was going to be carrying on, on until at least the end of the year, but it's going to be I think there will probably be more of a discussion with regards to changing the uh, viewership with regards to, to, to games for Sky and, and all these channels. Carl, you've been in stadiums probably almost every game week this season, and you've had maybe half and half. Like, what what are the tangible differences that you can feel or see? I think I said it before. I thought there was definitely a point in lockdown where we're going to get some wealth distribution, and now I think Super League would probably happen. In terms of the project restart games compared to the non-ones, VAR was less of a thing. There were just less VAR calls, I think. Um, it was really interesting to see how certain managers adapted to playing behind closed doors compared to certain ones who just carried on as usual. So Hassan Hall at Southampton was very clearly a very good manager in the restart games. He very clearly used his drinks breaks to the maximum and used the fact that he can shout across to people on the other side of the pitch to his advantage. So he was very... He was pretty much playing FIFA the way he was telling people where to stand and when to press. And that was interesting compared to very quiet teams. I think I've said this, I tweeted this during the FA Cup final. I think one of the big problems with Chelsea right now is that all their centre-backs are quiet. None of them really talk. And you could really tell that if you watch any of those games with the TV, with the with the um, fan noise, artificial fan noise off, the fact that some teams definitely were a lot quieter than you thought they were. And I think that's one thing that's been a big revelation for me is just realising the importance of players uh, constantly talk, which is not a really thing. It's not really a thing that you can scout for easily or can put into a spreadsheet. I can study XG, but I can't study does does this centre back yell all the time <laughs> until I watch him two or three times. But I think that's one of the really interesting things going forward. To me. That's one of the major things in every sport, though. That like a coach will tell you, like talk, 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 like communicate. You need to talk. With the some players, is, I don't know. They're in their own heads. Especially in defense, silence is death. <laughs> Basketball is the worst. It's like, yo, you're not going to tell me there's a guy giving me a screen like right there and you just run into somebody like you have to communicate and talk. 
Um, people want you to talk about Danny Ings. I've been seeing this throughout the podcast. We have a minute and 30 seconds. So Danny Ings scored 22 goals this season for Southampton on the XG of about 15. Uh, six of his goals were in his weaker foot. He was one goal behind Jamie Vardy in the Golden Boot race. And I think if Jamie Vardy wants to remain in semi-retirement for England, which he looks like he does, I think Danny Ings should take Jamie Vardy's space in the England team. He was legitimately a Champions League level striker. But he was playing for a team that, at best, I think the highest league position in Southampton of all season was ninth. He was phenomenal. And the really interesting thing is, if you look at the numbers statistically, he's probably the best uh, player Liverpool could buy to replace Firmino when Firmino's not on these good days. <laughs> Whoops. Why is somebody shouting Kepa, Kepa? Oh, because they were talking to him. Got you. <sighs> Kepa, yeah, that's, that, that's one of the really interesting things about Chelsea. Chelsea. Chelsea's defense are really, really quiet until they're all yelling at Kepa. Which says a lot because it, it should be, it probably should be the other way around because it should be Kepa constantly yelling at his centre backs as the you know, man on switch left right do this. He's not very good. If you want, if you want another stat, um, Kepa's save percentage is pretty much the exact same as Angus Gunn. Uh, Angus Gunn was dropped after he conceded nine goals against Leicester. But the worst thing about this for me is Kepa is to Allison as Harry Maguire is to Virgil Van Dijk. That's, that's, uh, that's the sad truth. Ooh, I, think. I mean, he's I, Maguire's not as bad as Kepper, but you know, Ke- they signed Kepper for that money because of how much Allison cost, and then we signed Maguire for that money because of how much Van Dyke cost. Ooh. We're, ending, we're ending like that, Paul. <laughs> love, love, love Harry Maguire. Good, good luck. You can't say he's biased. Well, say I just was, biased. said a lot, of, a lot of like positive stuff about United, so got to get at least one dig in. All right. Yeah. Paul, can you tell the people where to find you one more time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you like pictures of nature, you can follow me on Instagram at Peaceful Paul. And if you want to hear me and my friend Ed talk about uh, Manchester United twice a week, you can uh, hook us, hook yourself up at our podcast. No question about that. No question about that. You can find me at Anchorman616 on Twitter. I am writing on The Athletic about Southampton Football Club and many other things, even though it's a season's quote-unquote finished it's much other stuff to be done in football although i am off this week um i also have a manchester united podcast as well it's a bit different different from paul's it's a bit different from paul's um but that one's called talk of the devils uh and that one's got me and laurie whitwell who is the athletics manchester united writer and andy mitten who is the man who started united we stand well, I mean, by the time you listen to this, Talk of Devils will probably be out uh, and we'll probably have a whole section dedicated to Jaden Sancho. Just, 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 just Google half hope and you can find me, man. <laughs> you, you, you keep saying this, right? And I'm doing this right now. Have hope. I'm Googling it. And lo and behold, tell, tell a lie, you are the number one result. So <laughs> let me, let me do some incognito just to make sure. <laughs> That's amazing. Let me let me do. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it just, is. He really is. He really Google is. Google me. Just Google me. That's all you got to That's that's what I have folks say. Man. Just do your Google. Avoid it. He, that's, do, do your that's, Google. That's such a pull. That's why he doesn't use his real name because he doesn't need to. Have Hope is my favorite person to listen to talk to about football who I almost never agree with about anything. Um, I, lo- I love the content so much. <laughs> that a lot, a lot of, a lot of 99% of people hate my views on and would but can't stop listening because I at least I make it entertaining. You don't you don't agree, you hate me for it, but you know I still find make it entertaining. So I could I knew I could never agree, never, but he is, I, he's got conviction. I could never hate you for it. I could only hate Jose Mourinho for it all. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
right. I'm at Daniel Look where I talk and tactics. Remember to follow us on Spotify for listening over there. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review and we'll read it on the show. Um, if you're on SoundCloud, hit the hearts. And yeah, we do Patreon, $3 a month. Subscribe. There's four of us. I don't know how this is going to work. So sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Paul, do the uh, oh, oh, I'm so, I'm overwhelmed, guys. It's always football. <laughs> Indeed. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace, 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 peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.